In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, through the world, and though the world was made through him, the wor world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. We're beginning a short thematic series during the next four weeks, the Sundays of Advent, on the interconnection of light and darkness. And um, the theme is called Light into Darkness. And tonight I'm starting it off, and then Nick, will carry, Nick and Phil will carry it on over the next, uh, the next few weeks as we explore this, uh, this theme together. John writes that the light shines into the darkness. This first passage of John's Gospel is a beautiful, powerful, theologically imaginative way of talking about the coming of God's Messiah into the world. Matthew and Luke do something very, very different with this story. They recount the historical narrative of Jesus being born to Mary and the angels and the magi and the rest of the story. But John, in his theological imagination, and we really are in John's gospel in the presence of theological greatness, John talks about it in a different way. He talks about the word, and he talks about light. He leaves space for us to think and reflect and imagine what God is doing in our midst. But he says the light shining into the darkness, but not the light as a philosophy of life. Not the light as a kind of a grand mystical vision. Not the light as an anonymous force for good or evil. Not a series of general principles, not a basic, universally accessible human experience. He talks about the light of God in the world, 
And when he talks about the life of, like, light of God coming into the world in this passage, he means to say that the light of God is a person who was also witnessed by a person named John the Baptist, and that this is a person who was with God in the beginning, who participated with God in creating all of reality, and who actually is very God himself. That's who the light is, according to John. In him was life, John writes, and that life was the light of human beings. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not, in one translation, understood it. In another translation, has not overcome it. And maybe the full meaning is something more like this, that the darkness does not understand how to overcome it. This makes sense, this beginning, this description of the light coming into the world, actually makes sense of much of the rest of John's vision. John is the gospel writer who really works harder than anyone to work with Jesus' identity. It's John's gospel where seven different times Jesus self-identifies according to these very powerful images, including John, Jesus saying specifically in John's gospel chapter eight, I am the light of the world. Who my friend John was talking about when he talked about the word coming into the world and that light being the life of human beings, that light is me. That's who I am. That's who he was speaking about. That's who my cousin John the Baptist was speaking about. I am that light. Also, Jesus nicely puts together John's vision in this chapter when he later says famously, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God's truth. I am the connector between the light coming into the world and that light being the life of human beings. The light that we experience in Jesus Christ is the very life of God being revealed to us. And it's the life that we need as God creatures to be fully renewed and to find our way in the world and to find our way back to being who we were created to be. The darkness does not understand what it means to live God's life, God's way, in God's light. Why is the light pictured as a person in John's imagination? This actually starts very early in scripture. Listen to Proverbs chapter eight with a kind of an early personification of wisdom. This is what the proverb says, Proverbs chapter eight, starting with verse 22. The Lord created me, that is created wisdom, at the beginning of his work. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. 
When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he established the heavens, I was there. Then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was his delight, rejoicing before him always. You can hear in that John's saying, the word is what, it was through the word, everything that was made, that was made. The Proverbs centuries before writes, I was like a master worker. So you get that picture of the developing way of thinking about wisdom as a person, thinking about the key images of life and light as a person. This is what the great Canadian missioner Jean Vanier writes. Here is the heart, the center, the beginning, and the end of the gospel. The heart, the center, the beginning, and the end of history. God, the eternal God, creator of the heavens and of the earth, became like us, a vulnerable mortal human being. He became a baby needing a mother, conceived in her flesh, nourished at her breast, needing her love and the love and the presence of Joseph in order to grow and develop as a human being. He dwelt among us which can be translated, he put up his tent among us. He became a pilgrim and a brother walking through the desert with us. He became part of history, revealing to us the way to God. The light is the person of God and the way of God in the world. The movie Crash, a much heralded movie that came out several years ago, which explored relationships in the context of traffic accidents and traffic jams in the LA area. At the outset of the movie, one of the characters, Detective Graham Ward, reflects on a car collision that he, as an African American, and his partner, a Latino, had just had with yet another Korean-American. And he makes this following claim. It's the sense of touch, he says. Any real city you walk, you know, you brush past people. People bump into you. In LA, nobody touches you. We're always between, behind this glass and this metal. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash, in, crash into each other just so that we can feel something. For John, God has crashed into us to make a connection in a personal way. Paul Metzger writes, the word gets down on all fours lisping and speaking baby talk so that we as little children can understand. By the way, he stole that idea from John Calvin, the great reformer. And the word doesn't just speak with lisping words, but with deeds. In fact, the word is a deed. The word is a person. And so not only does the light as a person make that connection that we need with us? The light as a person also overcomes that disjointed experience that we have 
between word and deed. The word, Metzger says, doesn't do drive-by evangelism, but instead the word stops and stoops and stays with us, showing us that his love for us is not just talk. So when you think about it in this framework, you start to think and realize that there is a really important reason why the light is pictured as a person and not just an idea not just a series of values or principles, not a universally difficult, mystical experience. Atticus Finch, the lawyer from To Kill a Mockingbird, says this along this train of thought, if you remember these words. If you can learn a simple trick You'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from their point of view, until you climb into his skin, and until you walk around in it. And so identification, along with connection, and along with the integrity of the deep connection between word and action is what John is getting at, and so much more. Some of you may remember or heard or don't know, and so I'll tell you about it. Uh, Back in June of this year, I had the privilege Um, It was a bit nerve-wracking to think about it in the beginning, the privilege of visiting Angola Prison, Louisiana State Penitentiary, the largest maximum security prison in the United States penal system in northeastern Louisiana on the Mississippi border, surrounded by, on three sides, by the Great Mississippi River. The, The scale of the prison is almost beyond explanation and I'm still struggling with the scale. 5,000 prisoners, every single one charged with egregious, violent crimes of a very narrow sort, life-altering crimes. A very high percentage of prisoners in Angola prison are there for life with no chance of parole, never mind any chance of release. The largest death row population of any penitentiary in the United States. 18,000 acres, just a little bit bigger than Manhattan. Enormous scale. 25 years ago, Angola Prison was being run on the inside by several competing gangs in cooperation with the guards and running drugs and all kinds of illicit crime. The place was violent and rotten to the core with the highest inmate murder rate of any prison. Until a courageous prison warden named Burl Kane, who inherited this project to clean up Angola prison, came up with the idea, or was introduced to the idea, of inviting a theological school into the penitentiary to start teaching the Christian faith 
to more deserving inmates. A couple of decades later, the gangs are gone. They've been replaced by dozens of pastors who have recognized theological degrees and who themselves care for and pastor and lead and preach and lead worship and baptize and disciple over 30 worshiping communities inside the prison. It really is an overwhelming experience to visit Angola. And I went there to, as part of a, a group of three professor friends from Calvin College to lead 18 prison pastors in a spiritual retreat, their annual pastoral retreat. Each one of these prison pastors, who I now consider friend and colleague in ministry, are guilty of, again, egregiously violent, life-altering crimes. It's hard to, for me to still, six months later, I remember after a day of being there, the chaplain, um, Gary Summerall said to me, Paul, you know, a penny for your thoughts, and I didn't say anything, and so he, uh, he offered to give me more money for my thoughts. And I said to him, chap, like, I'm, I'm gonna give you my thoughts when I've, I've been here 24 hours, 18,000 acres, 5,000 inmates, the largest maximum security prison in the United States, and I'm supposed to, give you a reflection so far, other than the fact that the 95 degree heat is getting to me, you know, I don't really have much to say. The story of transformation in Angola prison is world bending. It, it is off the charts, one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard of, witnessed, and now been a part of my entire life. I don't expect to have ex many experiences that exceed this. Convicted murderers experiencing the transforming forgiveness of Jesus Christ, trained in the Christian story to be able then for the rest of their lives to find their calling as pastors for their fellow inmates. It's unbelievable. So many stories coming out of Angola when I was there, I just couldn't keep up with them. But one of my favorites was the story of a well-known American church leader visiting Angola prison. And maybe it was in a weak moment, but she asked one of the prison pastors in a quiet time together, she said, where do you find the hope to live here every day knowing that you're going to be living here for the rest of your life? Where do you find that hope? The prison pastor, a well-trained theologian, seminary graduate quickly responded, ma'am, we met hope. Hope is a person. Hope's name is Jesus. That's the kind of theology and spirituality and vision 
that is transforming this dark place of Angola prison to become a sign of the emergence of God's kingdom in our time. In the passage tonight, John also suggests, he makes a transition from talking about the coming of the light to talking about the one who speaks about the coming of the light in identifying John the Baptist and as another person. John isn't the light, he knows that, but he's been preparing all of his life to be a witness, to be a speaker, to be a representative, to be an ambassador, to be a prophet for the coming of the light. And John too connects light and life because he lives a radically different prophetic life in the way he eats and where he lives and how he speaks and what he expects of his audience. And so you get this sense that a person, the light, the word, creates other people who live in such a way so that the light shines through their lives to represent God. Remember that Jesus didn't always only say in the New Testament, I am the light of the world. In the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. He connects his mission as the person of God's kingdom with his disciples' mission as people who are meant to reflect God's character and God's mission as the light. I'm not making a, a hobby of this, but a couple of weeks ago I had an opportunity to visit one of the largest maximum security prisons in Western Michigan. A different set of circumstances with one of my friends from Calvin College. After a kind of extensive character check and all the rest of it that took uh, a few days. Um, in the darkness, we drove through the rural country roads of Western Michigan outside of Grand Rapids. We checked in, went through all kinds of uh, hand checks, um, a more extensive uh, sort of pat down than I've experienced in an airport or certainly in Angola prison where we were just waved through. Um, and then we walked into the prison yard along this dimly lit walkway surrounded by large prison cell blocks into this auditorium that reminded me of a kind of an aging Toronto high school auditorium that would seat maybe three, four hundred people slanted. Walked into the auditorium, a praise band was warming up at the front Obviously, prisoners themselves went up and met them, was made to feel at home. And then with my friend, who's a pastor and a professor, we went back and stood at the door. And almost a hundred of the inmates who showed up for worship that night greeted me personally by introducing themselves, by welcoming me, and by asking me where I came from and by telling me how happy they were that I was joining them for worship. Every single one. It is 
I was kind of, I had my own life of greeting people coming into worship thrown back on me and as the most beautiful gift. And the same thing at the end of worship, the same, walking out every single one. Paul, thank you for coming. Hope you'll come again. Please come again. Please bring your friends. Please don't forget us. Please keep praying for us. But when we started to worship, the lights just went on in the darkness of Western Michigan. It was one of the most extraordinary, extraordinary things. And if you ask me, what did I experience in the middle of that dark place in that worship service? I experienced love and grace, forgiveness, hospitality, friendship, truthfulness, generosity, community, kindness, gentleness. In these people, I saw the light shining brightly in the darkness. And I realized that in this upside down world of prison conversion, that the darkness has no idea how to deal with this light. I witnessed the very life of God shining through the people and the lifetime residents and inmates of that prison. I met a guy named Eric. We talked for about 20 minutes. Eric, in 20 minutes, I figured out, was one of the most wonderful and brilliant people I've ever met in my life. As a teenager, Eric got a job at a blockbuster video. The manager of the video was a single mom who had small kids, and she kind of adopted Eric as a second mom and began to mentor him, not only manage him in his work, but mentor him in his personal life. And her children became brothers and sisters to him, and he began to mentor them as sort of the oldest, and just a lovely story of social connection interaction. One night, Eric needed some money, and he, in the brokenness of humanity and the twistedness of the human heart, he broke in to the same blockbuster video where he was an employee in order to steal money. And the manager, his surrogate mother, happened to come back to the store in order to check in on something and caught red-handed with his hands in the till and so afraid of getting charged with theft, he murdered her to cover up his crime. Several years later, through theological education and through a radical conversion, Eric is now one of the leaders in the restorative justice movement in the United States. From that prison, which he is not allowed to leave from, he organizes and speaks at, through technology, conferences on restorative justice that are being developed around the United States. And he is one of the kindest, unpretentious, take it on the chin, 
take his responsibility. I asked him, Eric, are you going to get a chance at parole? And he said, I doubt it. And I said, I'm sorry about that. And he said, you know what, Paul? He said, if that day comes, that'll be amazing. But there's so much ministry to do before then. And I could see the light shining in the darkness in that place. The stories of that prison in Angola prison about the egregious, egregious level of violence and life-ruining crime is very, very difficult for me to continue to deal with and process. But one thing I did think about is that these guys in prison are really taking the time to focus on getting to know Jesus. And it's making a difference. They're getting to know the word and the light, and the light is shining through them so that you can see it, so that you can taste it, so that you can hold it, so that you can be prayed for by it, so that you can worship in it, and so that you can be inspired by it. And that's the way John envisions the light as the person of Jesus operating in the world. That's the way that Jesus envisions the community of the church and his disciples being so transformed by the light that they become compelling pictures of the light, messengers of the light, ambassadors of the light, the aroma of the light, so that everybody who comes in contact with them in prison or out of prison, in Angola, Louisiana, or in Toronto, Ontario, slowly but surely becomes the light of the world for the sake of the world. And the world is a broken and, in many cases, forsaken place. I invite you to take the season of Advent to renew and to refresh your relationship with Jesus, who is the Word of God and who is the light of God, who has come and who is coming again in order to shine the light and obliterate the darkness. He came to his own, but his own, for whatever reason, did not receive him. But to those people who received him, to them, he gave the life-transforming privilege of becoming the children of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Carol, do you have this little video up here? This is a little video. Uh, the guitar player is Thad, who's in the Catholic ministry at Angola Prison, a lifetime con convict in Angola, 
um, because of, for drug dealing. And Wayne, the big guy, is the guy who actually made the guitar and 300 other guitars like it over 15 years, um, who is a convicted uh, felon of first-degree murder, both in for life, both beautiful, wonderful expressions of the light of Jesus Christ in that place. Just take a listen, and then we'll take up our offering. keep that on my phone, and I play it every two or three days since June. It prompts me to cry and to pray and to send it to people who I think just need, to, need the reminder. Let's continue to worship God, who is the light of life, as we give our offering. <laughs> 